Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged, the cycling podcast that apparently isn't afraid um, of going off on a tangent or two. Uh, this is episode, amazingly, 120. Um, I'm trying to think of something significant uh, in relation to the word 120, and I can't, apart from the fact it's directly divisible by two, uh, which is quite good fun, uh, into 60, which in turn, uh, divisible in two again, into 30, and you can carry on to 15, then it stops being divisible by two at that point. And today, I'm very privileged to be joined by none other than Mr. Stevie Williams. Now, what can I tell you about Stevie? Well, he's a Welsh man, it says here, or a Welshman uh, from Aberystwyth, who has travelled quite far afield to claim his biggest victories. And he recently won the GC at the Tour Down Under, which was bonkers, um, but kind of expected because of his trajectory over the last few years. And you can't get much further away than that. Um, he's had his share of medical challenges and injuries over the years, from Osgood Slatter disease as a kid to his more recent knee injury. But I was interested to learn how he overcame those mentally as well as physically. Now, it's probably not fair to call him a late bloomer. He's only 27, and I reckon his best days are still ahead of him. So that is very exciting. We also chat about how crit racing in the UK helped him develop his ability to sprint on a climb. Fascinating stuff. He's quite a simplistic attitude to training as well, which is really refreshing to hear. We also chat about curry because, folks, that is important. We also talk about his plans for the rest of the current season as well. So, grab yourself some refreshments, maybe a leftover curry if you have some, strap yourself in and look to the future, because this is the Stevie Williams episode. You know it's that time again, Podcast. Stevie Williams was a very promising young rider before he was plagued by recurring knee injury. By his own admission, he didn't want that to be the first thing people think of when they hear his name. In this podcast, I was keen to explore how he didn't get back to how he was prior to the injury, but in fact, went beyond that to GC winning form at the Tour Down Under. Or, as was written here, the Tour Down. Oh, under. There's more! <laughs> Oh, God. I also wanted to find out if he knew the name of an indie band in his hometown of Aberystwyth and where the nearest Greg's was. Check it out. I think we're going, aren't we? Yes, we are. Stevie, great to have you on the podcast, mate. How are you? Good, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, all good. Just uh, yeah, got back from Australia around a week ago. So, uh, yeah, took me a bit of time to get, uh, get back on the normal time. But uh, yeah, all, all good here. Thanks. Nice one, mate. And normally we kick things off in the podcast by setting the scene a little bit. Uh, I'm at home in my spare room in Derby. Uh, if you just tell folks where you are in the world, mate, that would be, that'd be very nice. And actually what you can see in the room around you, just to set a nice bit of context. Uh, yeah, so at the moment I'm in, uh, in Andorra uh, in my home. Uh, so yeah, in my residence here. What do I see? I see, uh, I see a few cricket bats. I love cricket, so I've got a few... Uh, Got a few, okay. uh, few around the place here. A couple of kookaburras. Uh, got a TV. Got a basketball and like a like a dinosaur thing. Some like uh, yeah, mantelpiece little dinosaur thing. <laughs> well, so you, are you into dinosaurs then? No, no. I just I was walking past uh, some some shop and it looked quite cool. I thought it'd go well with the with the decor. So uh, yeah, I uh, I put it in the lounge. Very nice, mate. I tell you what, I know, I know you, you're recording on a phone. You just show me. I'm intrigued by this dinosaur. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sort of, let's have a little look. Let's go, let's go and check out the dinosaur. This is the wonderful thing about, um, obviously, if you just listen to a podcast, Stevie is now walking to a flipping neck. It's massive. Yeah, so like, 
Yeah, a little, little dinosaur-like. So that's a T-Rex, isn't it? I don't know what it is, to be honest. It's, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, yeah, not into dinosaurs or anything, just... <laughs> Now, don't worry, this isn't a dinosaur-related podcast, so it's just fascinated. So anybody who couldn't see that, there was a, a little koala by the television, which we'll talk about in a minute. I think I know where you got that from. There was a dinosaur sat astride a basketball. So that's that. The scene, the scene's been set. So, right, you're in, um, you're in Andorra, mate, and I think we should really kick things off with the amazing start to the season you've had. I mean, what an incredible win it was in the TDU for you, in the Tour Down Under. Coming into that race what wait, what were you actually thinking coming in we were, were you like god i'm going really well or or did or was it when the racing unfurled that you actually felt mm, i'm feeling pretty tasty just tell us what you were feeling going into uh, the tour down under this year yeah i mean is the it's the earliest really start i've had to a season i've never done uh, the australian summer before um and to be honest, I, I think, yeah, I just had a, a normal, consistent winter. Like um, in previous years, um, my winters have always been sort of a bit of the, the downfall of my, my season. So, uh, yeah, I didn't realise where I was in terms of form or anything. I don't think many do when you when you start the season in January like that. And the first race is always a bit, you know, up in the air. But uh, I think, yeah, you're right. I think it was more sort of day by day uh, as the racing unfolded. Um, I did notice after... Especially, I think the finish into Long Bethel on stage two, where we went uh, second and third on the stage, just um, that's when I thought, uh, yeah, I'm going all right here. And knowing that the weekend was quite hard and punchy, that um, yeah, it'd be uh, it'd be all right for me. So, what was the plan with the team going into the race? Then was it were you looking for GC or were you looking to to just take chances and opportunities? Because as you said. Um, I rode the tour down under once. It's one of those races you just go into and just to see how you're going. It's, a, I guess, for some of the Aussies, it's like, yeah, we want to target and win this. Who's in the middle of their antipodean season? But for everybody else, it's it's a little bit more tentative, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, I think the main thing for us as a team was to go there and, and race in the right way and uh, start the season off in a you know strong way. Um, I mean, we kind of went in with a, a two pronged attack with with myself and Corbin Strong. Um, yeah. tried to sort of obviously the race in previous years has usually come down to bonus seconds so we thought if if Corbin could you know gather a few seconds on the first few stages and head into weekend with enough of a buffer on the climbers then we'd be in a good situation and then having me there just to stay on GC time and then go into the weekend on the same time as everyone else then you know we'd have a couple of cards to play so uh yeah, that's basically how it unfolded, really. But unfortunately, Corbyn got a bit sick after after the the second stage. Um, so yeah, it was was over to myself then to try and try and do something. And you did, didn't you? You know, uh, Wollongahull, It was Oscar Oscar Ronley's a British one two again. I'm trying to think back to the last time, if ever, we've had a British one two in in Down Under. I don't think we have. But he put you away at the end there. But in the following stage, the Queen stage, you won the race and. You had to. It was quite tight, wasn't it? With uh, with Johnny Narvaez, it was a little bit complicated in relation to the time bonuses, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was. Um, I mean, on paper, it was all pretty. You know, everyone was close with a handful of seconds. I think the nicest thing for me was having Daryl Limpy and, and Sam Bewley in the in the car and on the radio, because yeah. obviously, you know, their experience and especially what Daryl's done in that race in the past, obviously being a two time winner. Um, just gave me the confidence to, you know, back myself and believe in myself 
And basically, I remember them meeting uh, the night before, and they both just said, let's just forget about everything, forget about defending, just go out and try and win the stage. And once you get to the bottom of Lofty on the, the, the last time, just pretend you're in a normal jersey and just race to win. Um, yeah. And that just basically put my mind to ease and thought, yeah, when you put it that way, forget about all the complications and just just try and win the stage. That's a really, do you know what? That's a really interesting frame of mind to put somebody as, but it does make a lot of sense because when you are defending a jersey, um, you do think, unless you're super strong, primarily it's about defence, isn't it? You're just, just watching, defending, not wanting to take any risks. But to have that kind of pull away and go all in is a really interesting attitude, especially when you've got very, very good legs. Do you think, has, has anybody ever told you to do that before? Uh, it was the first time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, the thing once with my... Uh, yeah, when I've been racing GC before and I've been in the lead and going into the last days and all the time I've been leading GC going into the last stage, it's always been a handful of seconds. I mean, Norway was like one second. Yeah. This this race in, in Down Under was, was the same time, so zero seconds. Croatia was a few seconds. So it's always been tight, which makes it uh, proper stressful. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think it's the right way to go about it. I think forget what everyone else is trying to do. Do your own job, back your teammates and uh, yeah, try and go for it. I mean, when you look back over, over the winter, you said you had a normal winter and it wasn't one where there was any problems. What isn't? What does a normal winter look like for you, especially in this modern era? Because you forget you, you've been around a little while now. You still was it twenty seven? Twenty seven still? But exactly. you've actually been, yeah, you've been a top level pro for a very, very long time. But to what was different about this winter for you? Do you think? I think the main thing was just actually just being on the bike consistently. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely so important for me. Um, just getting the hours in week by week and having no setbacks to sort of you know, derail the situation. Um, and in previous years, that's always been my downfall, uh, you know, starting winter well and having, you know, a small blip or either illness, injury. And that's basically been the same story now for the last four or five years. Um, and just having a, yeah, a clear run at winter and coming into these first races in pretty good shape. I think that was definitely important. And where did you, where did you base yourself this winter? Uh, because how long have you actually been in Andorra? I've uh, been in Andorra around maybe like nine, nine or ten months now. Okay, so it was your first winter in, in Andorra. Do you think the, the the location changed things for you in terms of the way you set about your training? Yeah, I I, I think so. I think uh, yeah, I really think being here is as you know help helped me a lot. I think the roads here for myself, being a climber and. I don't know, I think just the way of life up here, um, you know, the different style of training and, you know, the climbs, I think it's quite a, yeah, quite a pure way to train up here. And uh, yeah, I think you definitely get the work in and it's just, yeah, it's very hard to train here. So I think it, it has a massive effect. And who's who lives nearby? Is there any guys you'd like to go out with or are you kind of, you just want to go out on your own? You must hook up sometimes with uh, one or two pros on a, maybe a steadier base base ride. Ah, uh, mate, I'm all for riding with people. Uh, riding, on, <laughs> riding on my own. It's uh, yeah, it's not for me riding on my own. Um, even when I was younger, starting in the sport, it was always yeah, going out in a group and yeah, trying to kick each other's heads in. So uh, yeah, it's uh, something that I've always on to. Here in Andorra, I train a lot with Mike Woods. So Woodsy's based just across the valley. So uh, yeah, he's been here all winter, so most of my training's done with him actually. So uh yeah, it's been a good combination. 
we did have Woodsy on the pod actually about a year and a half ago. And I must admit, you you two could be brothers. And looking at you now, and I'm thinking, bloody hell, it could be you could be Mike Woods' cousin or brother. <laughs> it's very, it's quite quite remarkable, really, mate. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. I really got to know him. Obviously, I joined the team this year, but um, yeah, we have a we have a good relationship. We've uh, yeah, really become good friends uh, off the bike this uh, this year and this winter. So uh, yeah, we're kind of into the same things, like the same kind of music. We love movies. I love movies. Like I could just. Yeah, I've just watched so many movies, like, yeah, just, yeah, dead into movies. So is he, so we just, yeah, on team camps and stuff, when everybody's, like, sat at the dinner table, like, we'll just be stringing off quotes from movies and people just be, like, stunned by how much we know about them. What, what, what kind of what kind, kind of movies? Because the thing is, there's been some great movies over the last few years, especially the ones that end up on TV, and there's, there's a lot of good detective stuff. There, there is just a lot of very, very good quality movies knocking about at the moment. I can't fit them all in, mate, because me and my, my wife, Holly, we love movies, but you almost like can't fit them all in. But um, So what, what kind of stuff have you been watching lately? Yeah, I've just got a, a mixed bag. I really rate like, the, uh, the older stuff, like um, the Al Pacino, uh, oh, you yeah. know, Scarface, Carlito's Way. Also a big fan of like Daniel Day Lewis um, with Last of the Mohicans. I think that's a that's a classic. Anything Leonardo DiCaprio, um, yeah. So I think uh, that sort of genre is definitely uh, my scene. But I'm into anything to be honest. I, I did watch on the plane the other week. I watched Lincoln yeah. uh, with Daniel Day Lewis in it. Have you seen that? Yeah, it's good. Flipping it. That's an amazing yeah. film, isn't it? No, I think he's. I think yeah. The the films he's done and. Uh, yeah, you should watch The Last of the Mohicans if you get a chance. If I've, I've not seen it. I've not, because he's very selective in his films, isn't he, Daniel Day-Lewis? And I think he's almost like semi-retired now, isn't he? Just, yeah, I think he's done. Like yeah. one film every couple, couple of years and he just picks and chooses and curates. He's a, a proper method actor. Yeah. Any aspirations of being an actor yourself, Stevie? No, nah, no. Nah, <laughs> I don't think I could pull it off. Maybe I could be something like, yeah, no, nah, a little extra in something. <laughs> no, nah, I'm joking. <laughs> Oh, good stuff, mate. Good stuff. No, but that's that's one thing that's important in a team, especially when you spend a lot of time away from home, is making sure that there's you know you're doing some cool stuff in the downtime. And when you when you get on re- really well with a particular teammate and you've got something in common, um, that fills such a massive hole, doesn't it? it to, just to take your mind away from from training and racing for a bit. I know you because it is a sport that you you kind of live in. It, it isn't just something you do; it's a lifestyle, isn't it? But just sometimes I think allowing yourself to have an, a place to escape to, I think it is only helpful personally. I think it's massively yeah. important. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, uh, you know, obviously we spend so much time on the road traveling and also time in just hotel rooms. You know, it's also, you know, it's an easy, it's an easy thing to do. You just whip out your iPad or something, stick a film on and yeah, pass it some time. And yeah, I think to have like something you're interested in like that is, uh, is quite helpful when you're on the road so much. Where was where were your camps this year leading into Down Under then? Um, when when did you actually? How many camps did you have sort of around Christmas time leading into the new year? Uh, I just went on one camp. I was in uh, Girona, um, just outside of Girona, uh, near the coast, um, just north of Girona. We were there. We had a team camp there for a couple of weeks. So uh, yeah, it was good to see everyone there. And then uh, I went back to Wales for a few days to see my family over Christmas, and then came back here and then went straight to Australia then. Okay. And how, how long went to, I remember when I was 
we did down under. We were in Australia for a good couple of weeks beforehand, uh, just to get used to the just to get used to the hot weather. So um, I guess have you been to Australia before? Yeah, actually, I've been. It must have been eight or nine years ago when I was riding for JLT. I went with uh, John Harity and uh, oh yeah, yeah. So that group. It was uh, to be honest, probably the greatest trip ever. Like yeah, it was such brilliant. A- such a good group and uh yeah I have fond memories of that trip it was absolutely brilliant was that was Hugh in the team then as well no Hugh Hugh had just left so uh yeah this was I think maybe a year or two later I was there in 2016 so maybe he left the year before right okay well a little bit later on we are going to dip our toe into a little bit of JLT background stuff um funnily enough it did did come up when I was uh swatting up for a little thing that's going to happen a little bit later on but funnily enough um, back in the late 1990s when I was racing domestically before I kind of turned pro properly, um, John Herity was my was my manager as well. Yeah. So, you know, he's, and I remember only, we just had a great time. He was a really good manager. Um, he used to tear a strip off me a lot of the time because of my tactics, um, which were generally really bad for a climber. <laughs> uh, always got beaten in a sprint. Always one of the strongest, very rarely won. But um I've only got a lot of uh, respect and, and fondness uh, for John. And I caught up with him at the World Championships this year was great. He had a bit of time out, didn't he? But yeah. um, th- th- those early days racing for a domestic team, that stepping stone, are, are years that kind of make you who you are. They're so, so important. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, I think the first couple of years I did in the UK were just influential. I think you you grow up a lot and, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a completely different kind of racing. And I think, you know, obviously you've got the nice part of, there's a good chance that you'll end up in teams with good mates and, you know, mates that you've had now for a long time. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I really had a good time racing in the UK and, uh, and, uh, Pedal Heaven and, and JLT. And, uh, yeah, obviously, uh, I still have good relationships with everyone involved in those projects. And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, it was, uh, definitely a really good stepping stone because the racing was really high level and, uh, yeah, learn a lot about yourself. No, totally. And I think back then, I know that JLT in particular had, out of all the UK domestic teams, the best international program, didn't they? Over across in Asia quite a lot. Yeah. In France, it was just, it, it was a legitimate stepping stone. And sadly, that's by the by now, isn't it? Unfortunately, let's hope, let's not dwell on that. But it, it's, it's a, it is a big shame for the British scene at the moment, um, for the young men and women trying to come through domestically. It's particularly hard. Let's hope that that changes. Um, but Let's go a little bit further back in time, this Steve. Steve, we talk about the your, your years at JLT. Um, let's go back to when you first started riding. Can you just talk a little bit about your introduction to the sport and why you ended up wanting to be a professional cyclist back in the back in the day, if you can? Yeah. So the, I had no uh, um, nobody in my family, um, you know, rode a road bike. It was never sort of rooted in the family. Um, it was basically I was a very very sporty sporty child. I did everything: uh, cricket, football, um, long distance running, cross country, um, etc. It was uh, yeah. So I I dip my dip my hand in everything to be honest. And once I got to maybe must have been fourteen or fifteen, um, I got Oscar Schlatter, the growing the growing disease on my uh, on both knees. I got that. Yeah, it's right. In my heel, yeah. It's so painful, isn't it? Yeah, it's shit. It's awful. It's, uh, 
yeah, it's terrible. And I, the, the funny thing is, usually with pain and stuff, you can really erase it and forget about it. But this was, it was just horrific. Any impact, any impact. Yeah. Like, so for example, running into bowling cricket, playing football, like it was running, obviously, on, on, on the road was just horrific. So... Yeah, I just couldn't do it anymore. Like I tried everything with those like those pads and those straps and nothing really helped. I think it just needed time. Um and then yeah, it was basically basically a choice then once I once I finished playing those sports, it was more of like what do you need to do now? And then it was basically swimming or cycling. Yeah. Like swimming. I <laughs> I mean I mean swimming is great, but it's you know, it's it's kind of limiting in many ways, isn't it? I don't yeah. want to knock any 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 swimmers that are maybe listening in, but um, yeah, cycling's just mm, it's a little bit more exciting, yeah. a bit more to no, it. No, like it? yeah, yeah, swimming is you know obviously unbelievable what they do, but it was never something that yeah, it was. I just didn't enjoy swimming growing up. Basically, when I was when I was young in school or in PE, if it was if it was swimming on the, I was just like oh, so uh, yeah, it was uh, it was cycling and. Um, Got a got a got a road bike, a little road bike, and just started started riding on my own, and then got involved with um, got involved with the local ten mile time trials with us with CC and the chain gangs. It was on Wednesday and Thursday, Brilliant. and from there just yeah sort of fell in love with it and just uh, yeah just really really got into it. And since then I've just yeah all I've been doing really. Brilliant stuff. Did you uh, again? There's a few multiple guests on 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 the pod of of won the um the tour of wales the gwent two day how, how did you did you do well in that one mate because um nah i i don't think didn't you ride it i didn't ride that i when I, when i was racing there was there was the rustic cymru which was the which was the i think it was five days was it or three four may have been a week basically they had a right. It used to have a stage race which was amateur stage race in south wales it's called the rustic cymru yeah, um, which is like the, the 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 race of South Wales, and it was a second, third, fourth category race, and it was held over six days, and I did that twice. That was such a good race. It finished up um, uh, the tumble. It was finishing yeah. Abergavenny on the Hardwick. It was proper good. It was all very well organised, and uh, it's a shame it's not on anymore because that was that was a brilliant race. Yeah, I, when I was racing in the eighties and in so mostly late 80s, early 90s, the amount of racing in, in Wales was incredible because before 93, we had the amateur category and then the pro category. And we had our own separate races and occasionally, occasionally there'd be a pro-am. Um, and if you're riding for, the, for GB, you used to ride these pro races. But honestly, like there, there would have been six or seven there every year, big races in Wales, big prize money. Yeah. But it's just such, and they had the nationals in in Abergavenny on numerous occasions as well. Yeah, Grand Prix of Wales when all the pros came over. Yeah, um, it was a proper hotbed, and even even later into the to the nineties, just there was loads. I've raced a lot in Aberystwyth and around there. It's just so beautiful, mate, isn't it? It's just a, a lovely place to ride your bike because it's so quiet. Oh, Aberystwyth, what a place! Yeah, absolutely love it. Um, obviously, grew up there, uh, and yeah. Did most of my training there for the for the first few years I started riding. Still, when I go back now, maybe you know, once at Christmas or something, I always try and get out on the on the nicer roads around like the Elam Valley, um, around yeah. North Wales, around Harlech that way. But um, yeah, I do uh, I do miss training there. I had such a good time there growing up. There was a lot of 
a lot of good club riders who uh, who had a good club heritage there, and uh, yeah, it was it was really good back in the day. It's um, back again, just be- because of the Aberystwyth connection and Ab- Abergavenny down in the south, but Aberystwyth in particular, we had a few milk race stages that finished there back in the day um, when like Shane Sutton won the milk race and Chris Walker, those kind of guys. But I did, I when I managed the Sigma team, we had a training camp and we started in crew in Cheshire. Yeah. Day one, we went crew Landodno. Day two, we went Landodno Aberystwyth and then Aberystwyth back to crew, this big triangle. Yeah. But... The lads would say, well, why can't we go abroad? It's like, well, you're racing domestically in, in February, March, so I'm going to take you out in the cold. And we got stuck on one of the big climbs near Aberystwyth once uh, in a snowdrift. And um, we ended up riding back to Aberystwyth in ones and twos with no lights, but had such a laugh. And we're trying to dig our team car out, me and Simon Richardson and Dan Lloyd and those guys, digging our team car out of a, out of a snowdrift with a track pump because we didn't have a shovel. Oh, mate, just Wales for me is... Is a place that uh, it's it's got a proper place in my heart from a cycling perspective, and, and one day we're going to try and do an old boys reunion where we go and do Aberystwyth again, mate. So anyway, yeah. sorry for waxing lyrical. It's just such a uh, such a lovely place, such a lovely place. So at what point then, Stevie, in the early days, did you think actually I'm becoming quite good at this? I want to take this seriously. Um, you know, when did you think, yeah, a professional career is something that I want to aspire to do? Oh, I think. I think it was probably when I realised that I was able to try and make a career out of it was when towards the the middle of my time with John at JLT and then when I then left to go to Seg Racing Academy for 2017 and 18. I think yeah. those two years at Seg were were, were pivotal to be honest. Uh, I was re- I was bad at crashing. I was I didn't really understand the sport too much in terms of like you know once how do I explain once you're you don't really know the sport you've been through a bit of shit do you um, no that's the only way you learn isn't it is to make genuinely lots of mistakes yeah uh, and then I think I think yeah those two years at SEG were, were it was so important because I knew I kind of knew I had I had the engine and the ability to to be a good rider but I just needed those you know the things to learn everything the ins and outs of the sport just to really you know, cement my place on being able to compete in, in good races in under 23 and then also to make the jump then as a pro. Because you, you got a stagiaire, didn't you, with, with Bahrain, didn't you, in, was it 2018? Yeah. Um, and that's off the back of some great results in Italy, wasn't it? Yeah. So, the, to, I mean, 2017, my first year on SAG was, yeah, it was riddled by crashes and, yeah, I, I crashed a lot and just, yeah, I mean, just got my head kicked in, to be honest. Uh, the level up was, the, the the level from moving from the UK to the the under-23 scene in Europe was, I mean, the level was were, was just as high, but it's just a different kind of racing, different roads, mountains, yep. crosswinds, there's everything involved. Um, and then 2018, I just, just kind of made a massive step. I had a really good winter. Um, worked close with uh, my coach Vasilis Anastopoulos, the um, the Greek coach. He's now at Astana. Had a really. Oh, good- he, was with, he, was with, he was with Cav, wasn't he? he, he just, yeah. A, a quick step and now moved across, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I worked with him for two years on Seg, and yeah, have a really good relationship with him. Really good. Um, spend a lot of time with him, and then. 
just went to uh, went to Ronde Lizard in France, um, one of the under twenty three races at the start of the year, and won two stages, won the won the overall, and then that gave me a yeah massive boost of of confidence uh, and to show that I was able to yeah compete at this level and also do it you know in the high mountains and yeah just just race well as a leader and then I went to the baby Giro won a stage there had a was it one or two days in in the lead and then uh yeah after that I I was able to to sign sign pro then yes fantastic isn't it but but from that point it wasn't all plain sailing was it for you because you you had an injury with to your knee you had to have an operation and there was a I don't want to say wilderness, but it was a difficult four, four and well, three and a half, four years at Bahrain, wasn't it? Because you, because I remember back in in the SEG days or SEG days, you know, there was a lot of talk about you, mate. You know, generally about what you'd done at the Baby Giro in in France as well, and and again speaking to riders in and around the scene back then, you you were the guy that everybody was looking to, you know, and then you just almost like got lost. Can you just explain what it was like for those years? Because there was a lot of, I'd imagine, a lot of pressure. Because once you step up to World Tour, though teams do nurture riders a lot more, there's still a level of expectancy, isn't there? You're given this opportunity. Okay, you're given a program to bed you in, but at some point it's like, well, why isn't this lad delivering? And that, how did you cope with that, those, those difficult years? Yeah, it was, uh, once I turned pro, obviously you, you know, you make this step that you've sort of dreamt about for the last X amount of years. And uh, then I just, yeah, then it just sort of came, yeah, fell apart really uh after I had some time off before 2019 season I got back on the bike and yeah it was just in pain on my left knee and just couldn't figure it out naturally you see see a physio you get you get some treatment and you think oh give it three days and you know it'll be fine and then just kept going kept going went to training camp just couldn't get it better and then uh just a lot of like um people are unable to diagnose it and just not really sure what's going on. And then, yeah, I went to, I think, first race was maybe Tour of Basque Country and then Tour of Romandy and just a nightmare there. I think, yeah, pulled out of both, didn't finish or didn't start. And, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, was losing like, yeah, just losing sort of the battle on trying to get healthy, really. I was doing everything right, but I just wasn't getting the you know, the bounce back of being able to race. Um, and then it wasn't until, until I saw a specialist in London who, uh, who found this little bone, which was lodged behind my hamstring. Um, and then they removed that. And then I had like three or four months of intense rehab with sport Wales in Cardiff uh, and yeah. Welsh cycling who without their help, yeah, I wouldn't be, I won't be here now. So, uh, yeah, they were they were so important, and uh, yeah, nothing but good things and good times with Sport Wales and Welsh cycling. Um, just was that outside? Was that outside? Sorry, Steve. Was that outside of the team? Were the team? What was the team's attitude towards you like? I mean, uh, did, were they helpful, or did, or did you just pursue that? Did you go and seek the help from Wales to sort of uh, get this, or did they come to you? How did that work? No, it was a it was a um, uh, a dual collaboration. Everything. Sure. Was- Everything was in sync with with the team and and Sport Wales. Um, it was basically I just needed somewhere to be like a, an institute to have intense rehab and you know physio treatment just to 
to make sure that I was getting the right support. But um, yeah, both parties were incredibly supportive. And uh, obviously with, with the surgery and everything and then the time to get healthy again, both both Bahrain and, and Sport Wales gave me the, the chance and the time to to really yeah get healthy again and get back on my bike. And once I did, it was, you know, obviously, yeah, for a while because you know I was I lost everything basically in terms of yeah. riding ability so I remember going to races at the end of like 2020 um I just kept getting my head kicked in I was like either this has got harder or or I've just completely completely fallen apart but obviously naturally with with having that much time off and you know my body basically shutting down for you know 10 and 10 or 11 months and it is going to be hard so it's definitely been a a building process from then I mean, how did you cope with that psychologically? Did you always, are you quite, I mean, clearly you, you, you must be very, you know, resilient and robust. Was, was there any person that helped you out or was it just, I'm going to get through this, I'm going to get through this? Because, you know, looking at what happened, a lot of other people might have just thrown in the towel. But um, what do you think was the, made the difference? Was it the support from Wales, uh, from, from the Institute of Wales? Were there other people involved or was it just your own bloody mindedness saying I'm going to get through this because I've still got a lot to offer. Where did that come from, do you think? Um, yeah, it's hard to say. I think I think a lot of it, to be honest, does come down to yourself individually because at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's, it's yourself in it. Not to say you're on your own, but, you know, you've, you've got to do it for yourself. And uh, I think it did take a lot of, you know, mental willpower and, you know, just to be able to, to say that, you know, I was going into... Mate, I was going into to to rehab like four or five times a week, just gen like every day, twenty minutes to the the institute, twenty minutes home, being there for two hours, just every day. And yeah. it was just such a such a process of you know a one percent every week, you know. So it took so long to 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 get back, and um, you know, obviously, I think friends and family are key. I think you know, friends and family are, are definitely so important in times like that. I had a gr- great group of friends around me in South Wales at the time when I was there. A lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of my friends were, were always around. Also, you know, my parents, you know, obviously they were in Aberystwyth when I was down in Cardiff. But yeah, you know, to to have the support from from them at that that tough time was was also yeah really important. But I think a lot of it does come down down to yourself and just being able to, you know, tell yourself, right, you know, I've been through all this shit of trying to get to this level and, you know, all the, you know, races and all the setbacks and and now you're here, then, you know, let's at least give it give it hundred percent to try and come back and and and, and show everyone what, what you're capable of. It's you mentioned it a few minutes ago when you said that, you know, you, you, your body had essentially from a sporting perspective, an elite sport perspective, almost shut down through that period of recuperation. But as you as you quite rightly pointed out, you came back in 2020 at that truncated season where the level of the sport just went through, just skyrocketed, didn't it? And then into 2021 and 22, and it's still, it's still accelerating now. We're still trying to get to grips with this, what the, what the sport looks like. So it was even more of a leap, wasn't it? You got the sport, you got you on one hand sorting out your stuff, and then the sport's just doing this. So to drop back into it, you, you must have felt for a bit almost like left behind like how the hell am I ever going to get back in but you did I mean in 2021 you won the crow race you were just talking about uh, that earlier on so how long did it take you to feel then that you were back in the flow and you were back and you you started to get that self-belief back on board again not that you ever lost it but you know when you think okay I'm struggling I'm struggling ah now I'm, I'm here I'm back 
Yeah, I think yeah, it took it took a while. I mean, the whole the whole twenty twenty season. Obviously, there was a disruption by the pandemic, um, and then yeah, I did. I think was it nine or ten days of the welter that year, just to yeah. you know get into the bunch again, and then. 21 was yeah kind of kind of the the clean slate really it was uh yeah back to being on the bike and and riding normally and uh i think uh, that's when i was able to yeah, 21 i think i maybe did like maybe 50 or 60 race days so that for me was was a massive step and yeah regardless regardless of the results or or the win in croatia i think the most important thing was to get you know back to back races a solid season under the belt just to for my body to go all right we're back um and then yeah i think uh i think the confidence obviously came from you know the win in croatia and i think how i won it as well you know uh, a long breakaway with uh with simon i think uh that that really yeah gave me a lot of confidence to be able to you know ride away with someone of his caliber and, and class and I think then I was like, right, if I can, you know, finish this season well and have a good winter, go into twenty two, and then yeah, kind of be be back to my normal self. And then twenty two happened. You were gonna obviously won that stage in in Switzerland again. I was just going back through the results, and we've got to mention at some point is you talk, you describe yourself as a climber, which clearly you are, um, but you've got a bit of a punch, mate, haven't you? You got so I think your sprint still surprises people you, you you you're very quick at the finish i was looking at some of the names that you put away in that switzerland stage i was watching i wasn't commentating but i was watching it and i was like jesus that, that, it was just where do, where does that come from is that something you've always possessed is it something you work on or is it more placement but you you're quick at the finish aren't you mate? yeah i think i think a lot of people do, uh, do they don't realize it about me i think uh yeah, I think I'm in a quite a, a luxury position to have a finish like that and to be able to to climb in a select group as well. Um especially on the shorter climbs like the, you know, five, six, seven minute climbs and then sure. a small group at the finish. Um I don't know where it comes from. I, I think I've I've thought a lot about it over the years. I think a lot of it actually comes from the crits in the UK. Right. I think okay. I think uh when I did when I was seventeen, eighteen, when I was in the UK, obviously doing a lot of the the elite circuit series and tour series and you have to be to survive in them you have to sprint and you have to position and i think i think those actually the crits in the uk is is very important for explosivity and you know being able to put yourself in the right position going into corners going into the finish so yeah i think it's a lot to do with that that's really interesting because you're quite right i mean to win one of the crits in the uk um i remember with the Rafa crits a little bit. I mean, you would have been a bit, a bit, a bit younger then. But we used to have guest pros come over, and good, good world tour pros, and just get their heads kicked in. And back in the day, in the, with the Kellogg series, I mean, I think, and it's a shame that the scene's a little bit on its knees. But um, those crits are unique, and just to survive them, you've got to be pretty quick. Like you say, the amount of multiple accelerations. If you look at a, a bog standard circuit, let's say there's five or six corners. A lot of them are more than that. Multiply that by twenty laps two times a week you're yeah. doing a lot of explosive efforts aren't you so no yeah. wonder you, you, your body is going to become just uh, at the very least just efficient at those sorts of accelerations it's not going to turn you into a sprinter but you are going to become more effective at those sorts of efforts it's just going to happen isn't it yeah I think I think a lot of people as well see me as especially from under 23 and out and out climber but I'm actually quite tall I'm like six foot I'm like I've, my legs are like 
I've got some, you know, pretty big levers and I think, you know, I'm, I'm not just a, a small, a small climber, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've, you've proven that. I mean, what will, um, what we're going to do now is other things I want to talk about, look at perhaps to look forward a little bit, mate. But, so uh, we've talked about, um, Aberystwyth a lot. And so I'm going to test your knowledge on Aberystwyth now. Uh, please don't worry, mate. But, um, Steve Williams, it's now time for the Aberystwyth quiz. All right. <laughs> yo, yo. What's up? You all ready? Uh, uh, Let's do it. Uh, uh, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the Aberystwyth quiz. Right. I've got four questions for you, Stevie, all centred around the beautiful Welsh town of Aberystwyth. But it is a multiple choice quiz, all right? So, you know, it's not going to be super, super difficult. Worst case scenario, have a punt. All right, so um, when was the last time you were down in Aberystwyth, actually? Because this um, might actually help you. It would have been Christmas time for a few days. Christmas time, okay. Right, okay, let's well, let's crack on then. So this is question number one. It's going gonna, it's gonna to test your music knowledge, basically, this one. Okay, uh, Stevie, what was the name of the Aberystwyth-based indie band formed in the year 2000 who signed to Fierce Panda Records, did three albums, and then split up in 2008? Okay, were they called A, the Hot Budgies, B, the Hot Sheep, C, the Hot Ducklings, or D, the Hot Puppies? So they were an Aberystwyth indie band, around for eight years, had three albums, and um, one of those is their correct title. There's a lot of sheep in Aberystwyth, so I'm going to go with B, give it, give it the sheep. The Hot Sheep. It's incorrect, mate. I'm afraid it was the hot puppies. Uh, I did put that in because obviously in Wales, there are a lot of sheep and there's a lot of sheep in Aberystwyth. But so I, I like your logic. So that's it. I mean, you applied a lot of logic, but obviously it wasn't the right answer on this occasion. But don't worry. Still got three more questions to go. Okay. Right. I mean, this one, if you've ever sprinted for the Aberystwyth town sign, which you may have done in the past, uh, it may, this may help you. I, th- I could see you looking through your memory banks there. Have I ever, have I ever won that? Um, There's three like roads a, into Arbor, I, I know. Well, surely each one's got a sign. You can sprint in differently. Right, okay. Which French town in Brittany is twinned with Aberystwyth? So Stop which... There. Are you sure? Stop it's correct, there. mate. It's correct. I'm gonna, yes, it's correct. You didn't even need... Um, the, the other, I'm going to give you another half a point bonus. Yes, mate. So I'm going to give you one and a half points. Um, Saint Malo, Saint Bruc, Roscoff, and Lorient, but it is indeed Saint Bruc. That's good knowledge, mate. Is that, how do you know that? Is it just because it's on the sign or you're conscious of it or? Yeah, there's a little sign outside a bar called Rummers, which uh, which comes in from uh, from the from the south of Aberystwyth. And uh, yeah, I just, it just says it on this. <laughs> Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Um, what's Rummers like? Is that uh, is that one of your local sort of haunts that you like to pop in every now and again? Yeah, it's a, it's a, like a little yeah, bit of a bit of an edgy little place, really. A bit of live music, a bit like down below under the bridge. Bit yeah, a bit dark, but nice place. Nice. Like, yeah. We'll- Do you know what? I think I think we went there on one of our hostel runs. We, we went for a curry, then we end up at Rummers, and it is it's like basement, isn't it? It's only yeah. quite small. It's quite small inside, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite small. It's like a little, like, there's a barn. Like, where'd you get the curry, though? What curry do you... 
I can't remember. It, I mean, we're talking about 2006 here, mate. So, but I, I, I can't remember where we got the curry from. But it was a good one. Where do, what um, do you get? What do you get in a curry house, though? What do I get? I, I normally, well, I've got a curry place in, in Derby, and at the moment, I'm just going through the menu. I'm just different dish every time. But normally, yeah. I'm quite classic: chicken tikka masala or chicken or, or chicken rogan josh. Yeah, fair play. Um, um, plain rice, um, naan bread. And I'm, I'm a big fan of a samosa or a bhaji on yeah. the side. What about I'm, you? I'm, I'm lamb dance, like pilau rice, garlic naan and a cobra. Oh, nice. And a, co- add, yes, add a cobra there. The place we cobra on draft, which is quite good. Yeah. Cobra on yeah. draft, mate. So very nice. I did have one on Sunday night. It was absolutely banging, mate. Absolutely banging. But I cannot remember the name of the, the Indian in Aberystwyth. But Rummers, yes. I think, I think I've been there. We had a great night. I got back about 4 a.m., I think, once we'd find a way back to our, to our B&B and we're off <laughs> out at half past seven in the morning. Um, yeah, the rules were then, because um, it was, what was it? It was January. I said, look, lads, do what you want in the evening, but I need you on the ride and it's up to you. So that ownership, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah got, There was some... <laughs> right, question number three. On what street in Aberystwyth is located one of the two Greg's stores in the town. Okay, so it's the town centre, Greg's. What street is it on? Is it on A, Market Street, B, Baker Street, C, Great Darkgate Street, or D, North Parade? There's one on the edge of town. So it's C, Great Darkgate Street. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Have you been there recently? Yeah. What did you get? I got the steak, steak bake. Steak bake, good lad. That's correct. It is, it's, it's a yeah. steak bake and a fanta, good lad. <laughs> oh, I would have quite a lot of guests uh, are big fans of Greg's. I've not had anybody, Stevie, who's not actually a fan of Greg's. I think the last big Greg's fan we had was Connor Swift. And yeah. then for about a month afterwards, he kept sending me pictures of him going to Greg's and eating steak bakes, which was quite nice. Yeah, well, it's a great place, to be honest. Like, Everything you need in there. Go in, it, see some tradies, have a cup of tea, bacon roll. Laugh. Brilliant stuff, mate. It's and it's very reasonably priced as well, isn't it? You get like, I mean, I must stress this isn't an advert for Greg's. It's just a great place to go. Um, and any people from abroad who are listening in, please head to a Greg's anytime you're over in, uh, yeah. in Britain, and you will not, you not, not regret it. Right. Question number four. So you're doing well, mate. You've actually got, including the bonus, uh, you've got two and a half points out of three. Okay. So final question on the Aberystwyth quiz for you. Okay. JLT Condor won round five of the Tour Series in 2016. Okay. But who was, what, what team on that night were third? Okay. <laughs> so JLT Condor won. Um, who was third? Madison Genesis. Pedal Heaven, Rally, or NFTO? Uh, I know. Wait, Moldy won. Briggsy was he, second, I think. Moldy did one. That was the bonus question. So you've scored yourself another point there. That was my bonus question. So John Mold did indeed win. Was Briggsy second? Briggsy was second. He was. Briggsy was second for Rally, yeah. But what team were third on the night? Did you third, ride? Third as in the overall, or...? On that night, which team was in third place? It was a team system, wasn't it? Ah, so yeah. yeah, not overall. On that particular night, JLT uh, won it. What team were in third place? I think it was Pad Eleven. 
Mate, you've got an amazing memory. It's absolutely correct, mate. Well done. <laughs> good lad. That is good. Because that's super niche knowledge, that is. That is super niche. Yeah. So... I remember you, they, had a good, they had a good year that year. We had a, they had a good year. I remember they were they were they were sitting in second for quite a lot of it. So I just thought, yeah, usually it was between Madison and JLT, and then there was a couple more teams fighting. Fantastic, mate. But yeah, good memories. I did. I never raced that circuit, but I managed the team on it a few times, and it's right on the seafront. And we had one year they had to. I think we had to reduce the distance of the race because it was so windy; it was blowing riders off as they came yeah, around they and hit the seafront. Um, that, that would have been yeah, but maybe you you obviously a little maybe a little bit young. Did you go out and watch? Yeah, I was there watching. I used to go and watch it watch it every year. Uh, the first time I raced there was twenty when I was an amateur in twenty thirteen or fourteen. Maybe I did the amateur race and then I did it in twenty fifteen with Pedal Heaven in the tour series and crashed. Oh God! I, I crashed so. on Castle Point. I hit the yellow yellow painted line when it was raining. Devil. God, sorry about that. Well, mate, you've done you've done very, very well. I'm just going to tot up the scores. One, two, three, four and a half points out of a possible four. So uh, let's have a round of applause from our live studio audience. Well done, mate. Great performance there. I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. I, I'd be happy with that. I'd be very happy with that. I think it was all on the bonuses, but you were very, very clear, weren't you? Some real, well, deep, deep avarice with base knowledge there. So it's a well done. Well done. So <clears throat> let's sort of, Bring things together and look look to the future a little bit now, mate. You've obviously had a well. Actually, let's just touch on your um, the team that you're with now. You're with Israel. You obviously had a one year deal with them last year, which you you know delivered on enormously. You're with them for another couple of years, but it was a little bit shaky, wasn't it, going into the beginning of last season with the B and B hotels thing. So let's be honest with you. Israel gave you a lifeline, really, didn't they? Yeah, obviously there was uh, yeah the mess of uh, the winter of twenty twenty. Two yeah. with uh, with B and B. Obviously, that fell apart for yeah reasons I'm not aware of, and I've put it out yeah. of my mind now. I mean, that stuff still going on in cycling is uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a tough one. So uh, yeah, I've forgotten about it now. But, um, yeah, I don't wish that sort of stuff on my worst enemy. So uh, hopefully, it doesn't happen anytime soon. But um, yeah, once I yeah was able to you know gather the information of that not happening it was then time to try and you know find find something new for myself and uh yeah in december december last year i um two years ago sorry december 22 i uh yeah had a meeting with uh with the management of of israel and um yeah i met them there and it's funny story actually so uh I was I was in Drona at the time. Uh, I didn't have a team, and uh, Dylan Toons had obviously uh, uh, signed for the team, and he was um, he was on camp in in Drona. And uh, at this point, you know, I had no idea what I was doing or what I was up to. And it was obviously yeah. you know stuff I was exploring, but nothing concrete. And uh, he, uh, I, I needed to meet him anyway. We were teammates on Bahrain for for a few years, and. Um, he had a gift for me. He had a gift for uh, for uh, Flesh Alone. He won Flesh Alone, so uh, we were yeah. t- we were teammates there. So um, I met him to uh, to go and um, to go and pick pick the gift up. And uh, yeah, so he was there on camp, and then it all came about that obviously the team gathered information that I was you know 
looking for a contract and, and looking for a ride. And then I uh, set up a meeting with uh, with Rick Verbrugge, David Bailey, and uh, Chal Boystrom on um, on Israel. And uh, yeah, within within twelve hours, it was done and signed, and everything was good. And then I was back into winter training. Fantastic. Wow, it's it's funny, isn't it? How these, these little moments. I mean, it's quite possible. Had you not, would, would you have? It's almost like a sliding doors moment, isn't it? Basically, with the, what what certain situations can lead to. But as I said, that's all well and good. But you've you really delivered on it in terms of what you managed to achieve last year. Rode the Giro, then obviously took that great win in the in the Arctic race. So off the back of the win this year uh, and starting off the season like you have, what what are your objectives? Um, that this year, Stevie, you must have because um, you've set the bench pretty high, and you've consistently performed throughout the last couple of years. You must be quite excited about where you are physically and what opportunities you've got in front of you. Yeah, I'm definitely definitely in a in a good place again. I think um, yeah, I haven't had this kind of shape for 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 a long time now, and it's nice to be at the pointy end of races, actually, you know, fighting for fighting for win and you know trying to get good results. So I think the main thing for me now is to keep this consistency going, stay healthy, and then go into. Uh, I think the next, the next important thing for me will be the Arden Classics, um, with uh, yeah, with a strong team there. I think uh, we can do some nice things. Um, so yeah, the age flesh and, and Amstel is definitely the next important block for me. And then um, we'll all be yeah gathering momentum then to try and uh, get selection for Tour de France. Yeah, it's uh, that's the thing. Just a reminder, you're in a, a pro team, so it's not an automatic selection. So it must be, it's a little bit sort of, um, yeah, difficult to predict. But I guess all you've got to do on, that's out of your hands, is it? Just focus on doing the best rides you can. And the more, and the better the, the rides that the team do collectively, um, the more chance there is to be selected, I guess. Yeah, I think just, yeah, it's important to keep doing what I'm doing and, uh, yeah, make sure that I'm riding in the right way, racing in the right way and, yeah, I think I think it's just it's just about going to the, the next race and you know being confident in yourself and I think that's what Down Under really did for me was you know be confident that you know I can actually race at you know world tour level and and compete and I think for me like mentally that's that's nice to realize that I'm able to do that you know. Yeah, and and also the fact that you are winning races, you know, against some of the against this new generation of riders in this new era is, you know, you, you're not one of the riders who's seemingly kind of struggling. You're basically, I'm just wondering how you have found the, the changes over the last couple of years. And, and can you just describe it before we wrap things up, how much your training has actually changed to adapt to this new style of racing? It is something that I do um, talk about because I'm really interested as somebody who has to commentate on the sport and watch it. And the way it's evolved recently is is incredible but what's that been like for you are you changing are you training should i say and resting totally differently than what you used to or is it just a little bit of fine tuning here and there how how are you training now as opposed to training sort of pre-pandemic for example um i think yeah it's a, i think you're, you're talking now to one of the most simple simple trainers that that is yeah i'm i'm very i believe that you know, being on the bike, not that it's enough, but I, I really don't think that training needs to be that complicated. It's uh, as long as okay. training well and recovering well, you know, I think, you know, there's no need to, 
no need to overcomplicate things. And I have a really good relationship with my coach now, Liam Hollihan. Um, so I've been working with him now for over a year. And yeah, we have a great relationship and we're really both on the same page with how we think. And uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm someone who enjoys, you know, instead of doing a, an effort that's a set amount of time on a climb, if it's like 20 minutes at tempo, you know, if the climb's 18 minutes or the climb's 25 minutes, then it's just the climb. And then if you word it, you know, in your, in your plan is, yeah, just, uh, you know, find some climbs and, you know, ride some tempo. It's a lot less complicated than going out and, right, do this power, do this power, do this power, stick at it. And it's just, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, you know, the sport is complicated now, but I think it's important to take a step back and realise that, you know, it's, 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 it's people just, you know, racing bikes. Stevie, I just wanted to say, mate, that I really enjoyed um, the chat. It's lovely getting to know you just a little bit more. And I just want to wish you all, all the best for the 2024 season. What is actually the next race on your agenda? Where can everybody watch you, mate? Yeah, so next for me will be uh, will be the French races in uh, yeah this month. So I'll do um, the VAR Classic, Alps Maritime, and then Drome and Fournardesh. So that'll be the the next few weeks for me and then a couple of weeks later then end of March I'll, I'll do Volta Catalonia great stuff with me well I am actually commentating on Duvar and Maritime Duvar so I'll watch you in action mate I expect some cracking results not too much pressure but uh, mate it's been absolutely wonderful mate um, you're very very good I mean Aberystwyth can be very proud I think that's the main thing um, one of their foremost sons clearly uh, knows a lot about the place he was brought up in mate but it's been a pleasure take care of yourself and I'll catch up with you very soon mate Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Take care, mate. Great stuff from Stevie. What a lovely lad who's quite inspirational, really. Hope you continue to have a great season in 2024 and beyond. This podcast was produced by Noel Gaffney on behalf of Hot Chili. Thanks to Perry Abgwyneth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to the fans of the indie band The Hot Puppies but feels they're currently underrepresented in the cycling podcasting world. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye. <laughs>